I was working with a company recently that was literally changing out their entire e-commerce platform. And so you can imagine all of the planning, all of the interactions, all of the design, everything that was there that was that was going to be planned around this. And we brought up the, the concept of customer service and that where is customer that talking about needing that to be earlier in the conversation and someone in the room said oh well customer service doesn't happen until after all this and i'm like no customer service happens a whole lot earlier that than that if you give me the ability to buy and i have a problem with my buying experience customer service is who's going to get that interaction Thank you for listening. This is Brett Trainer, your host for Hardwired for Growth, a podcast where we strive to help entrepreneurs and business owners not only grow their businesses, but scale them. We do this by having conversations with industry experts and the entrepreneurs who've successfully scaled their own businesses. Statistics show that only 5% of all startups ever achieve annual revenue of a million dollars and less than 1% reach 10 million. Our mission is to help more than double the number of companies that reach each of those thresholds. The voice you heard a moment ago is that of Bob Furness. Bob is the godfather of customer experience. When Bob started his career, there were only two options for customers to interact with brands, phone and snail mail. Brands now have 10 plus channels to interact and engage with customers. Bob has probably forgotten more about customer experience than most people know. He's recognized as a thought leader and probably worked with well over 300 companies during the course of his career. In this episode, we talk about how customer experience needs to be in the DNA of every company and how small companies can have a competitive advantage over their larger rivals. Key questions we answer are how founders should be thinking about customer experience, the difference between customer service and customer experience, how CX or customer experience should align with customer expectations expectations. Customer service starts much before or much earlier than the sales process, plus much, much more. Now, on to the intro. Welcome back. You're listening to Hardwired for Growth, a podcast dedicated to helping entrepreneurs and business owners who are looking for sustainable and scalable growth strategies, led by your host, Brett Trainer. Hey, good morning, Bob. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Good. I'm glad we were finally able to get the schedules uh, aligned and, and have this conversation. And you know, just full disclosure for for the audience, Bob, you and I have probably known each other at least 20 years now. Is that safe? Sounds about right. That's hard to believe, but yes, that sounds about right. <laughs> we won't share that. And also as full disclosure, I know I, I don't use the term OG or Godfather very lightly, but you know, Bob is definitely, you know, fits into that category of what used to be known as customer service, but now customer experience has basically spent his entire career in this, this arena. And that's why I'm super excited to have you on the show and, and kind of dig into, you know, what is customer experience, right? So to get things started, I think, you know, people throw customer service, customer experience, you know, interchangeably. I would love to get your perspective uh, and, and definition of customer experience to get us started. Thanks. And uh, thank you so much for having me on, on the podcast. Uh, I love talking about this stuff. I would say to the audience, when when Brett and I are together, uh, we, we probably talk about the same stuff that we'll talk about today. So just excited about being here. So the interesting thing about customer experience is that it, it sort of 
expanded the view of customer service. I, I remember when I started in the industry, I'm not even sure if I go back in time, the word call center was was a new word that was coined by Gordon McPherson that, that there was a call center. And at that time, we had customer service, but customer experience sort of expanded it. So my view of customer experience is that you're looking at as how are your customers interacting with you. Today, we talk about customer journey is the new buzzword. And it makes you think about all the different ways that a customer, all the touch points that a customer interacts with you. So when I think about customer experience, it's about what are the experiences that they're having along that journey. And so if I, if I, if I say customer service, although we're going to try to debunk that a little bit today, I think about, oh, so the, the product broke and now I need to talk to customer service. When we think about customer experience, we think about all the way back to, hey, I heard about the product for the first time or I, I, I heard about your service for the first time. That's the beginning of the experience all the way up until to I decided to buy another product or I got unhappy and, and went away. And then that customer journey aspect says that I, I validate that journey and that there is a consistency to that journey all along the way. Yeah, I think that's, that, that's, that's a great point. And even going back, I think when I first got my start, now my career has kind of meandered from customer service, sales, and some different areas. But at the, at the core, I'm still a, a customer service experience advocate. And I think when I started in the call center world, there was like two channels, right? You could call or you could email. And I guess at that point, you probably had physical letters as well. But that was really about all. But you know, as you and I were just talking for a few minutes before we hit record, you know, we're probably up to 18 different touch points or channels that brands can now engage or interact with either prospects or customers. So you know, that's that's amazing. That's less than, you know, 20 plus years that that's accelerated like that. Well and the and the thing about that in our conversation, um, I tweeted something the other day about that there were the customers want to interact with you around with an average of 10 channels and and somebody tweeted back and and tried to debunk that that they could only think of three but what's interesting about that is very quickly you can okay so when we think of customer service we think of phone email and maybe web you know something on the on the on the internet a web chat or a web i'm sorry a web form that i can fill out and ask a question but in today's world, if, especially if I'm an, a digitally focused interaction, so I'm on B2C or I'm a retail environment, then I probably have chat of some sort. And that's becoming even more prevalent in the business aspect, a B2B kind of environment. But if I open the lens a little bit now, okay, so who else is answering customer service questions or, or service experience questions? I've got sales, I've got service, I've got social, whether I, I choose to be uh, to interact with social as a company or not, but I have social all the way down to, you know, a, a negative interaction on Facebook about my business. Am I, how am I going to respond to that? And what's the service aspect or the experience aspect I expect? I've got, you just mentioned snail mail. If I open the lens a little bit wider, I, I, I look at marketing and how we're, what is our brand? What is our promise? What is our ex, what expectations are we setting around our product or our service? 
and then I've got brochures and, and I've got FAQs. And we haven't even talked about the companies that are digitally focused, like an online company that, that now is expected to interact with video and interact with perhaps Skype and perhaps Snapchat and Facebook and multiple social channels. So it has become a very complex world. And sometimes we're overwhelmed. I had an experience recently with a company that uh, I'm looking for uh, some work from, and they immediately responded to my email almost within 30 seconds, but they did not respond to my Facebook interaction for three days before that. And, And they opened that channel right now. They apologized profusely and said it was something wrong with their system. And thank you for letting us know. And they recovered well. But they opened that interaction by having a Facebook page. In fact, by having a Facebook ad, they opened up that interaction. Right. So, I think that, oh, sorry, Bob. Didn't mean so the guy that. sitting in the calls, the, the, the man or the woman running the contact center is sitting there going, well, I'm answering emails really well and I'm answering phone calls really well and not realizing they've got a whole nother channel or they've got a channel that's broken that's not interacting well. So it's just become really complex to manage the experience. Right. And and I think, you know, one of my, actually, I think it may have been my first guest, Tim Cato, he's 25 years and his big, or his, he's always been about value and differentiation and the customer story. So really big on the customer story. And I think brands are getting better to your point of being able to communicate that from, you know, pre-sale to post-sale but the execution at the different touch points, I, um, maybe it's you, you're probably a lot closer to that. It seems to be more of an afterthought or organizations just aren't putting the thought into the operational or the operational discipline around each of those. Is that a, is that a fair statement, you think? I think you're, you're def- that's definitely a fair statement. I, I was working with a company recently that was literally changing out their entire e-commerce platform. So you can imagine all of the planning, all of the interactions, all of the design, everything that was there that was that was going to be planned around this. And we brought up the, the concept of customer service and that where is customer, that talking about needing that to be earlier in the conversation. And someone in the room said, oh, well, customer service doesn't happen until after all this. And I'm like, no, customer service happens a whole lot earlier that, than that. If you give me the ability to buy and I have a problem with my buying experience, customer service is who's going to get that interaction. So I think, you know, we've been saying for a long time in this industry that we in the customer service world, and I think we're doing better at this. I think large brands are doing better at this. But if you have a small business and you have a small you know, a small footprint as a company or you're a growing medium-sized company, oftentimes that person that's over customer service is perhaps not pushing themselves to the table earlier in the conversation. If there's a new product coming out, if there's a new service coming out, I need to be at the beginning of that conversation, both for the ability to understand what I've got to then communicate to my agents or to my, my customer service reps but also so that we are pushing ourselves into that into that journey earlier so that web FAQs and the marketing plan and how's that marketing going to run? I, 
I'm talking a lot, but I, I think about all the way back to probably eight, 10, 12 years now when on a Monday morning at our contact center, we had 65 calls on hold when we showed up, which was extremely unusual on a Monday morning. I mean, we were busy, but not to that degree. And what we found out is there was an ad that was run the day before by marketing a full page ad that had a great pricing structure scheme. And in the fine print down at the bottom, it said not for new customers only. Well, if I'm paying $65 and you running a special for $45, there's going to be a, a, an amazing amount of blowback from your current customers. Absolutely. So, so, and that was it my fault or was it the marketing guy's fault? I, I blamed him, but in reality, <laughs> I knew I knew it was me. I should have been at the table much earlier in order to say, well, hang on a second. Let's talk about what this is going to do. And minimally, I should have been prepared on Monday morning for to deal with what was inevitably going to happen as a result of what happens in marketing. So we just need to push ourselves into the room and into the table much earlier. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great point. And, you know, one of the things I've you know been on my soapbox for probably 20 years now is, you know, the alignment between sales and marketing, right? And over the last few years, I've really kind of expanded that thought process to across the organization as, you know, customer experience and the customers are looking for that frictionless, you know, process of, doing business with you, you know, that we're really kind of stuck. Uh, and I'm going to go two ways with this one with the traditional, what I'll call legacy larger, especially in the B2B world where there's operating budgets and goals at each of the functional areas. And to get that cross functional communication is really hard, right? It, it's almost got to be an effort and two, uh, and I'm going to get your perspective on something else, but I just want to tie that back to small and growing companies that if they can build kind of the customer experience into the DNA of the organization and think of it as an overarching strategy, not to your point where historically it's been something at the end could be a competitive advantage. So are you seeing any progressive companies out there that have been able to either knock down those silos or work through the silos to provide a better experience? Yeah, I, I've seen companies, um, there's a very large uh, high-end appliance company that we did some work with, and they just have a leader over their customer operational, customer service, customer experience that has become the focal point within their company about how to improve their overall experience. And so a lot of times the customer experience is owned by either the VP of customer service, especially in a medium to small company, it may be owned by the CMO or the, the, the marketing director or the customer service director. And so they tend to be siloed. What you have to do is have conversations before the, the chaos. So this particular person has what he calls the voice of the customer meetings and on a monthly basis, invites others into the into his world to talk about what they're seeing and what they're hearing from the customer. And so the place that the company goes to find out what's happening with their customers is within their customer service voice. Whereas a lot of times companies can be driven by marketing and what marketing is doing and what marketing is saying about the customer voice. So you, you just have to be on point about doing more than 
surviving with service or right. or offer offering service you want service to become a driver of how the organization is run and and you want it to become a driver for the voice of of what customers are saying and 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 where that applies is all the way back to R&D and problems with products or services how do we need to adapt our services and our products so their success, in fact, um, their success was driven. I, I, you know, you know how Brett, you read a a book and you wish you had written it. Have you have you ever read a book <laughs> that you just go, I've been saying these things all these years, yeah, and yes, and I, I I wish I had said it. I wish I had written this. And uh, the book Effortless Experience, I highly recommend. Even though it was published in 2013 that particular leader had had read effortless experience and had embraced the concept of of making his organization as effortless as possible and when you start using that word you find out that it's not about necessarily confirming that when you have a problem that you interact with me but that i proactively let you know you have a problem i proactively solve your problems before you know you have a problem. So effortless, that, that concept of being effortless in the way that you interact becomes much more focused on the customer than it is on, on our internal processes. Uh, I like that. Then it's actually a great uh, one. I'll, I'll add that to the show notes too. So effortless experience, you know who the author is offhand? I do. It, it's by um, a guy named Matthew Dixon. And um, Nick Toman and Rick Delishi, Delacy. Sorry, I can't, I, um, <laughs> I saw Matthew speak, and just a great, just a great book. It's built on 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 research about the customer. So while all the concepts I wish I had had brought out in, in into the open the same way they do, what what's cool about it is it's it's built on research by CEB that validates that this is true, that a, a customer that spends less time, that a customer is happier with effortless experience than you being a hero and fixing his problem. I, I would rather not, I'd rather not have a problem. I'd rather not have to jump through hoops to get my problem fixed. I would rather it just be effortless and in the way that it's handled. Right. And not have the problem, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I well, but, but problems happen. So, sure. how, how, so how do we get in front of them is, is what the, in my mind, is a lot of what the book is about. How do we, how do we make this easier? Which, which makes sense. And we should be kind of all driving towards that. And yep. you had posted a, a stat, which I think was from Gartner not too long ago, that said by 2020, 81% of all companies expect to be competing on the basis of customer experience. And, you know, <laughs> I think we chatted briefly before, you know, that's probably going to be a terrifying thought to a lot of what I would call established organizations, but then that could be a competitive advantage for smaller companies that can do that. So as we've kind of talked through some of the challenges, some of the things that are working well, the multi-channel, if we start to focus on, you know, that 81% and you're going to win or lose based on your overall you know, customer life cycle experience, you know, what are some things that companies should be thinking about, not even thinking about, I mean, you got to think about it before you do it, but, you know, approach that, you know, to help them get ready. I mean, 2020 is a year, you know, four months away, right? <laughs> so, you know, in your 
experience and recommendation, what are some of the top three or four things that companies should be thinking about and doing to help them gain that competitive advantage? Well, let's first sort of see if we can define that. Um, the reality is, is that people are, are buying based on experiences. I, when I go to Walmart, I have a certain perspective of what kind of experience I'm going to get at Walmart. I have a certain experience of what I'm going to get at tar- Target. My wife has said to me that we could never move more than three miles away from a Target. Uh, it is her favorite store. My expectations are different at Walmart than they are at Target. And my expectations at a Kohl's or a Macy's is, is even different. Now, that's different based on the brand that they've brought to the marketplace and the expectations. At Walmart, I very seldom expect that I'm going to find anybody walking around answering questions because I know I'm there to buy low-priced items. At Target, I, I expect a little bit more of a service focus and the ability. So if I just break down brands that we know about, now when I go to Amazon, what's interesting is I have no expectation that I'm ever going to talk to anyone because they've built their digital experience so well that if I want to return something or if I want to figure out which product is the best product, it's all there. So the expectation of what that means to say that we're going to buy based on experience is formed not by what we define as experience, but formed by the experience of others around us. My most recent call to a good experience on the phone is now the basis for me calling you and expecting that same level or better service. The expectations around good experience fluctuates and and may be unrealistic that I've called American Express and then I call my local bank, I expect the service to be just as good at both of those, depending on which one I called first. So that puts us as owners and as as leaders in, in a tough environment because it's redefined consistently. Yeah, that but, makes sense. But to answer your question of, of how the expectation is to focus on on what is the experience that the customer is expecting. And how do we ensure that that experience is met along the way? So as I said, my experiences are, are my expectations are different. But l- let's talk for a minute about the small, because I think because I live in the world of larger organizations, I've talked mostly about large businesses. But l- let's talk about small businesses. If I'm going to buy tires, I think about my son, who's 34, 33, 34. I should know the answer to that. <laughs> um, okay. He was born in 87. So whatever that 32, let's say that when he bought buys tires, he goes and looks at ratings of tires and reviews of tires. And then he may work with a local company, but then he's looking again at their reviews about their service. So we have to pay attention to reviews now. And if I own a small business, that's hard to do. I've got I've got Yelp, which may or may not be relevant in your organization. I've got Facebook, I've got Twitter if I'm if I'm a of, of any size. So I've got reviews on my website, I've got reviews on other websites. So it's interesting to me when I find something about a small business 
that they don't respond to. My wife was recently looking for a new dog clipping service uh, where we get our dogs taken care of, bathed, and, right. and, and they're, they're shih tzus, so they have to be clipped. What was interesting is, so she looks at two or three different places, and the reviews on, on them were pretty consistent that there were enough reviews for you to feel comfortable. In one of the cases, there was reviews about a bad situation where the, the company had responded and explained themselves. In another example, there was a bad review which had no explanation. And then in another case, there, there weren't any bad reviews. Now, that decision was made on crowdsourcing, not on what we typically think, which is, I go ask my friends, where do you get your car? Your, she did ask her friends. She asked her friends on Facebook, which is many more than the people that she talks to. Right. So a, as a small organization, you do have to figure out where your customers are talking about you. And then you have to be there where they are. You have to interact with them and, and solve their problems. Yeah, I think that's that's such a, a good point. And, you know, some of the, the smaller companies I work with, it really is, you know, to your point, meeting them where they're at. And that buying process, whether you're a small consulting company or a, the tire company, is that people are going to do research about you before they make any decisions. And like the old days where you could sell them on features and benefits, and I know we're getting kind of into a marketing discussion, but I think it all ties together where understanding, you know, that process, they are going to look for reviews and hopefully personal recommendations so that the feedback you're getting there, you know, needs to be incorporated into your overall customer experience. And then where I see another, I call it a gap is, you know, once you do have customers that have, you know, made the journey with you or are now, you know, customers, not getting that feedback loop, either good or bad, back to the front end, right? So it's really about closing the loop on, on the experience and making sure that it's, it's, it's tied together. And, you know, the other, the other point I just want to make going back that you had said where the experience really should tie to your overall, I don't know, maybe business model, but you know, where you had target Walmart, Amazon, right? The way that uh, customers expect you to do business. So if you're a high touch, high end boutique type of service, you know, the expectations are going to be very different than if, you know, I'm paying, you know, a dollar 50 for, you know, a parking service. I'm just, I'm making it up, but you know, I think that's right. That's a really good point to think about is what is your business model look like? And, you know, is it a high volume, low you know, average sale, or if it's a higher sale, higher touch, make sure that the experience aligns with, with what you're selling. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really in my vernacular, it really come, comes about, about what, what is your brand promise? What are you telling your customers that you're going to be? And then are you that? I keep using examples, but I, I had a, an amazing experience recently when I had a windshield replaced at my house. And the person, like the day before I got a text saying, this particular person is going to come to your house. This is their picture. And they're coming to your house tomorrow at 10 a.m. to replace your windshield wiper, your windshield. About an hour before, I got a text message with the picture saying this person is on their way or 45 minutes before. So by the time the guy knocked on my door, I had expectations about who was going to be there and what they were going to do. He replaced my windshield. I had some problems with my 
insurance, something about my insurance in their system wasn't correct. And what I expected was they were going to tell me, oh, well, you need to to call customer service. But what I did was standing at my at my front door on my front porch, he pulls out his iPhone and begins to fix my problem. And by the time he walked away, not only did I have my windshield, but I had my insurance validated. So that's my now my, if you're coming to work at my house, that's my level of experience, <laughs> yeah, of expectation, that, right? So it makes a lot of sense. So yeah. the, the small business person, you, you can't just open your app and go, I've got this static app. You've got to think through what is the interactions that the customer is expecting. And, and there's sometimes that you can't compete it up. And that's okay, I think. You know, there, there's a certain amount of cost associated with all of that. Sure. And um, when, I, when I had my own company, I, I did not do all of the things that the large consulting companies did. I especially did not have a marketing budget that they have. But what I did is I established a brand as being a hands-on talk-to-me brand. And then I'm able through personal relationships to overcome what is a marketing, a mega marketing animal that, that the larger consulting company has by, by being the brand that I established. Right. Yeah, it makes that makes sense. And I think, you know, it reminded me of an example I had. I'll I'll tell you a quick story. You remind when you said insurance. So we had, you know, earlier this year some hail and a lot of the houses in our neighborhood had some hail damage and there was a company that came by, you know, the door to door, say, Hey, I'm working with some of your neighbors and as I do with most cold call, I say, No, no, thanks, but no thanks. But eventually found that they were able to get the insurance to pay for one of the neighbor's roofs. And so I'm like, all right, well, <laughs> if it's going to be covered by insurance. Then maybe, you know, I'll, I'll have that conversation. But what I found working with this company is they put a lot and almost all of their emphasis on helping you work with the insurance, getting it processed through, you know, they were on the call with me when I talked to the insurance agent, they were here when the insurance company and the adjuster went up to inspect the roof and basically walked through that process. And 30 minutes after the insurance company was here, we had it approved and, you know, the first check to, to start the work. And where I was going with that story is they figured out the differentiator and a service experience was there's a lot of people that do, you know, quality work on roofs. But if you can't get it processed through the insurance company, the odds of you actually doing that work are you're going to be slim or none. So I found that it was an interesting recent example of a service that they, they figured out how to, to help grow their business. Yeah, um, that's what it's all about. It, it's about, it's about un- defining a brand and then living to that brand. And customer service becomes part of, part of that brand. And it's, it's always further up the journey than you think it is. And, it, and it's always more important than you think it is for holding on to people. You save churn, you save loss of customers, you keep customers, but you also help sell in ways that, that you don't think about from a service or an experience perspective. That's true. Cause I actually, I think I told three after that was done. I, I think I've told at least three, maybe in five people now of, you know, the service that they provided and how they did it. And they've, he's got five more prospects just from 
helping me through that through that process. So I know, Bob, I want to be respectful of your time. We're starting to run short, but there's one other topic that I wanted to get your perspective on. That's on AI and, and some of these smart bots. And, you know, I think when done well, I've seen them provide really strong customer experience and help that process. But then if it's not, it adds a, another level of frustration. So I'd love to get your perspective on kind of where we're at today and where do you see AI and, you know, that playing a future with, with companies and around customer experience. So I think, I think AI in the future or AI as it's being defined by innovative companies and companies that are helping us define what the future is going to look like in contact centers really is beyond the chatbot and it's beyond uh, the rudimentary AI. It's moved into places like being able to pull data from six or eight different systems and bring that data into the AI decisioning that's being made about the customer, whether it's on what is the most valid thing to offer for sales, what product should I offer, what's the next best action that I should do based on um, on this customer, what should the agent do next? So we find some AI in the automation process, whereas we can write if-then statements that say these are the five things that you should do. What we have not been able to do is to take a multitude of data and then and then reanalyze which one of those five steps were done based on a, a multitude of data from multiple systems. It also is is shaping how we route calls and how we prioritize calls and cases in contact centers. So AI is is saving an enormous amount of money in contact centers around the prioritization of cases and um, the ability to, to pull more data out of the customer who's following manual cases via a portal or uh, following their own cases. So I, I think there's the future that we're going to see make a difference. I also believe that knowledge is going to change pretty drastically and, and in fact is changing drastically. Salesforce just recently announced some changes to their to the way their their knowledge is being presented to agents that is pretty pretty groundbreaking path to the future of being able to not just find an article that an agent then has to read and find the answer but finding the answer to the question in the way that it was phrased by the, phrased by the customer either verbally or over over uh, digital channels right. and then and then the ability to push that information out via a chat bot or a, 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 a chat window is, is obviously where there is immediate opportunity. I heard somebody the other day say that chat, chat bots are, are no longer bleeding edge. They, they've become the ticket to play. And I believe that we probably interact with chat bots much more than we know if we're working with, with chat. I, I find the majority of the chat windows and I'm pretty good at being in the industry. If I get an opportunity to chat, I'll chat because I want to know what that experience is like. What, how do I compare that to other experiences? So uh, chat bots are definitely, but the place that all of that comes together is around knowledge. So I had somebody attend one of my sessions recently about AI and he came up to the front and said, you know, I, 
I know I'm not ready for AI, but what you definitely explained, what I definitely gathered is that I've got to do a better job with my knowledge in order to get prepared for it. So knowledge can't just be this bunch of PDF articles that are sitting in the back of the room or a bunch of PDF articles that are on a, a, a wiki any longer. We're, we're going to have to be able to tag knowledge and manage knowledge in a way that allows for AI to read that, to consume it, to understand it in a natural language processing perspective so that it can then give those answers out to customers in real time. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of in line with a couple of guests that I have. One was the CEO <laughs> of a, uh, a smart bot company, machine learning. He was more focused on the machine learning than the AI. But, you know, he really niched down and focused right now completely on elimination of form fills right specifically around lead conversion that if if you get to a you know paid google or paid search and you come to a website it's much easier to have the bot collect the information you need than versus a form fill and you know it's one of the fastest growing companies and CEOs that I've that chatted with so that's one area and then uh episode that went live today with uh Lindsay Kelly was all around conversational marketing and again it was really to your point it wasn't it was more about knowledge and how are they learning and the customer getting the information that they're looking for so maybe that's what the if you start backwards from knowledge what do your customers and prospects need to know and then start to think about how to present that information the way the customer wants it presented is a I don't know super simplified <laughs> I think recap of, of what you said but it's really at the end of the day that's what they're after is that knowledge right yeah I just I, I believe that it's going to change we're going to we're going to do better at pulling knowledge for our agents first of all well, then we've got to prepare that knowledge in a way that that it's that it can be pushed to the customer because there's some things you don't want to push to the customer. There's some some internal. So I'm going to have to rethink the way I structure knowledge if I'm going to attach an AI engine to that knowledge. I've got to make sure that that knowledge is prepared for that AI engine to consume it and then to deliver it. One other comment about what you just said about that uh, company that is doing case validation. Uh, I, I think in addition to the bot gathering information, I think that there's, there's, there's a real plus in the bot being able to validate that information. So, exactly. right. so, I, so I, I ask you what kind of windshield you have, what kind of car are we putting the windshield in to use my previous experience? And instead of asking you what kind I might ask you. So I noticed that we replaced the windshield for you in a 2014 Honda pilot in 2012. Is this the same car? Right. So, so now what I've done is the bot is, is looking into my record, into my customer record and asking informed questions instead of just asking rudimentary questions that help me fill in the information. But it's gathering the data from my customer record and using that to make decisions and, and to help the customer be more effective in their communication with the bot. Yeah, that make that makes sense. And maybe just one last point on that before we get to the, the closing round is you, know, you kind of spurred the, the thought of the internal, right? So historically, if I'm a customer service rep, I'm going to have access to 
the repository of FAQs and customer service cases where the ability of leveraging a bot internally, which has access, I think you mentioned some have access to eight or nine different data sources, could really help improve the the internal, uh, I think that's maybe where you were going, the internal knowledge transfer, if you will, across the organization versus still being very siloed. Does that make sense? It does, and and uh, and we're seeing that. Uh, we uh, did some work recently with the human resources organization within a HLS, a, a health sciences company, and they're using it internally within their HR. So they're having the bot answer their customer, their employees' questions, and that information is instead of it being static, as in I search for four hundred one k and. I read down and I try to find the 12 articles about 401ks and I I click on the first one, I click on the third one. They're actually allowing the agent, the the employee to ask a question in natural language and then finding the answer for the customer, um, for the, uh, sorry, for the employee among those six or eight articles. So again, the same thing we're doing for customers, they're doing internally. So, So knowledge is becoming less static and more interactive based on what AI can bring to the table. Yeah. Interesting. And what's interesting about that, what's interesting about that, Brad, is that it's no longer unobtainable for the smaller company. The the company that you mentioned, I'm not sure who it is, but they probably have a small business version of that. If I choose Salesforce, Salesforce has now built in bots basic bot building into their platform. So the nonprofit that has 25 licenses can now build a bot in a day that uh, their admin can build a bot in a day that may very well save or deflect 30% of their, their questions or better yet engage the customer better in order the, the donor better in order to gather more financial support. So. Interesting. Interesting. I think it's, and I could talk to you for another couple <laughs> hours on this subject. So we may have to have you, you back. Okay. For a, a part I'd two love on to this. do that. I love talking um, about this stuff. But in closing, I'd like to hit you with the rapid fire before we let you go. What's an experience that really helped shape who you are today? So the second part of that answer would take longer than we have today. The, the first okay. part is, the first part would be, I, I was told one time, if I go back, somewhere in my reading of John Maxwell and others along the way, I realized that relational leadership was much more effective than management. And so I, I began to understand that building relationships with the people that work with me and for me that I work alongside is much more effective than sort of hierarchical demands. I had someone tell me one time, if I, if I think back, that told me I would, I would never amount to anything. I would never, I'd never get as far as I could because I cared too much about people. And it was after he and I had had a conversation about a particular customer. I mean, a particular employee that worked for me and, and I was defending the employee. And so that was a point in my career where I, I thought, well, I'll show you. And I, I think I've had a, a fairly good career since that would happen about 20 years ago. Um, no, on a personal note, about? the four years of my daughter's fight with cancer was a pivotal time in my life to 
redefine what's important in life. And so maybe on the next section, you next call, you can ask me that same question and I'll, I'll share some of that story about the reality that life is about life. It's not just about work and, right. and getting things done. So that's the answer. Okay. And definitely you're right. You really what's important to you. And I think we do lose sight of that far too often. Question two, what is, what is one thing you would highly recommend? Since you left that wide open, I would say read. <laughs> uh, I would say that you, you got to learn. Um, you you got to never stop learning. And, and I've been guilty uh, over the last couple of years of not reading as much as I should. And uh, recently had some time off and, and redefined that reading is going to get back into the middle of my life. Um, you know, I mentioned the effortless experience. What I learned from there, I, I took with me to multiple jobs. And so at the end of the day, every day, or at least every most days, you should be able to walk away from your job and think of something that you learned away from your job or from a book or from wherever you're, you're gathering, something that you learned that no one can ever take away from you. And what I mean by that is that whether you stay with the job you're in, whether you move to another job in life, what are you learning that becomes a part of the, uh, of who you are? And I think that's important. And, and I, I, it gets out of whack for me sometimes, but that's the goal. And, and that's the recenter process. Yeah, that is so good. And so true. And I think we all do get out of, out of whack. And, you know, one of the things I've been focusing on more lately, especially with having you know, my oldest daughter is in the workforce, the other ones, you know, heading out of college before too long. It's really, you know, and you and I grew up in a kind of a different era. It's really don't go through the motions, right? Whether it's in life or in job, you know, obviously you have to pay the bills, but man, do something that's exciting that, that helps drive you. And if you can't make the change immediately to your point, find something in your life that, that does motivate you and, and keep you driven. So no, yeah, I'm reading. I'm reading Michelle Obama's uh, uh, "Becoming Michelle Obama," her her autobiography, and wow, what what a message that has given me. That am I am I doing what I love, or am I doing what's necessary? Yeah. Um, so so yeah, there was uh, there's definitely an introspection going on with me that I, I need to do more of what I love and less of what I have to do. Yeah, it's better late than never, right? Absolutely. <laughs> And then last but not least, if you could have only one more beverage and think of it as your last meal, what would it be? I'm a huge Diet Coke fan. Uh, and when I speak about it, I, I talk about, you know, my affinity for Diet Coke. But if I, it, when you add it in my last meal, uh, I'm also known to make a dirty vodka martini with about 14 blue cheese stuffed olives uh, <laughs> on, a, on a bamboo stick so that I sort of really have a place to hold my olives while I drink. So um, that would definitely be the option, especially because I would have a last meal. Uh, in addition to a last drink. So I love it. Love it, love it. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely uh, the first on the show. So congrats on that. I love the out of the box thinking. So Bob, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. I learned something I think every time we chat and I love kind of reminiscing about the old days. So thank you again for sharing your knowledge and we look forward to uh, following up with you in the not too distant future. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate it. And I will add, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I do. And if people want to find you and learn more about you, what's the best place for them to reach you? 
So you can find me on Twitter. It's it's Bob Furness, B-O-B-F-U-R-N-I-S-S. I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes. Uh, so you can find me business-wise and in Twitter. You can email me personally at bob at bobfurness.com. That's a way to find me personally. So okay. lo- love to talk to you as hopefully you've realized I love this stuff and, and love talking about it. And the future is finally here, right, Bob? <laughs> it caught up to us finally, yep. right? Yep. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Well, have a great rest of your day. Appreciate it. And we'll, we'll catch up soon. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to hardwired for growth to ensure that you never miss an episode. Subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit brettrainer.com. That's B R E T T followed by his last name, T R A I N O R.com. Thank you so much for listening until next time.